Coco, no! Another train delay. We're recording this on Valentine's Day, and by corporate mandate, that means we're gonna have a theme this week. We're gonna talk a lot about trains. And love, because Valentine's Day, that's the theme. I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Romantically. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally. It is Thursday, February 14th, and we're two dudes alone in Troy's bedroom recording a podcast about municipal politics. Happy Valentine's Day, Troy. Happy Valentine's Day, Mac. Tune into social media to see what we did on Valentine's Day. Um, no, I'm just going to let that linger. You can think <laughs> of whatever you want to think. Power of suggestion on that one. We're going to jump right into the rapid fire segment. Aurora Cannabis liked it put a ring on it, and then made it emotionally and financially dependent to the point where leaving would become impossible. It is cannabis in this mixed metaphor, and Aurora's ring on it is capturing 20% of all pot sales across Canada since October. Uh, if that number seems high, well, no, it's not the number that seems high, but 20% of the highs are from Aurora. Mike and Lori put a ring on it after he splashed a proposal on a billboard asking her to marry him on Monday, and then asked her on Thursday. When asked how he knew she wouldn't see the billboard before, giving her the signal about his plan, Mike said an extremely rare network broadcast storm would probably take down all signals. Train joke, guys. <laughs> Teresa Spinelli, president of the Italian Center, turns out wasn't exclusive nor Twitter official with the video she appeared in this week. In the video from Restaurants Canada, which was critical of the NDP's changes in the past term having to do with minimum wage and statutory holiday pay, she expressed that because Saskatchewan had lower minimum wage, she was looking there. Later, after blowback on Twitter, she decided her heart was not in it and started copying and pasting canned responses that she doesn't support minimum wage rollbacks and that concerned people should email her directly because she does not want this on Twitter anymore. She's not yet at that point in her relationship with lower wages where she's comfortable with PDA. Speaking municipally as a member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB Financial. This week, we're going to tell you about ATB Prosper, which is a simple, personalized digital investment service from ATB. You can start investing with as little as 10 minutes and $100, and there's no need to go into a bank to get started. You can set it and forget it, but if you do want support along the way, ATB pros are around to help. You can learn more at atbprosper.com. So, Mac, this week, um, we're going to be talking a lot about trains, but first we're going to talk about a lot of love. And you love some of the questions that counselors ask at meetings. As... Oh, love. What a loaded word. Yeah, no, I was at executive committee this week uh, for the update on the uh, civic support for the startup ecosystem, how much money the city puts into that. And you and I listen to a lot of council meetings, and this isn't the first time this has come up, but I had... Uh, a moment of just, I was flabbergasted. Uh, Councillor Mobanga, Ward 12, asked a question uh, during the questions about the report. He asked what tax levy requirement in the report means. So now, some of our listeners might be thinking, hmm, tax levy requirement? That sounds pretty arcane. I, I sort of get not knowing what that means. Now consider the context. Let's set the scene. What sort of context would this word have been used in the meeting? So in this particular example, the report was looking at how much we're going to spend on salaries for these people in the ecosystem. And it's about $8 million total. And there's a couple million dollars that are going to come from revenue and, and other sources, which leaves a gap of $6 million. And the report said that gap will be made up with a tax levy requirement. So now, most of us are probably thinking that means 
it's the requirement that needs to be made up from a tax levy. You need to get that money from general taxes by raising taxes. Now, if you specifically, dear listener, didn't catch on to that, that's okay. You're a citizen of Edmonton. You're not a sitting counselor. A sitting city counselor <laughs> who just went through budget season. And I think they used that word once or twice in budget season. I had to check because I could not believe that he asked this question. I mean, this this phrase is used in tons of reports, probably thousands of times in the last couple of years. But even in the, the operating budget report itself, tax levy was mentioned no less than four dozen times. So if he's asking now what this means, what does he think he voted on in December? I just, I could not believe it. So I wanted to, to at least make sure that you uh, Ward 12 listeners out there know that this is what your counselor is asking at committee. We try not to like unduly poop on people on right. speaking municipally, but this, this is a case where it's, it's not an isolated incident. If you listen to city council meetings, which first don't just just don't just listen to us instead yeah but if you listen there are some city councilors where you they ask a question and you can just feel the room cringe right you sent me a message on slack that this question just got asked and i was in the room yeah and you were listening to the live stream well i i wasn't yet listening to the live stream you sent me that message and i instantly opened up the live stream and the way the delay works is i just turned it on right as the question got asked and like you could hear admin just cringe and there was a delay like how should we respond to this question what do we do with a question like that it was just so shocking and and i get it like you said we don't want to tear people down and counselors have to read an incredible amount of information on a hugely wide variety of topics and that's hard and, and it's not an easy job but this is a pretty fundamental basic concept that if you're a city counselor you should not have to ask about and you're not even a rookie city counselor anymore at this point Mobang is an incumbent. Granted, he won a by-election. But yeah, he's not like he just started. Which, as a final point, I'll mention. During the by-election, I reached out to all the 32 clown car full candidates. <laughs> it was a farce of an election. Right. But I reached out to everyone that I could justify as maybe potentially serious. They could win 20 or 30 votes. Right. I didn't reach out to Mobanga because I did not evaluate him as a serious candidate. That was just the air I got that, oh, this this dude doesn't know anything about the city at all. And it blows my mind that I was so wrong about that. But also... So right. So right. <laughs> His questions very much reflect your assessment, I think. Uh, uh, not just at this council meeting, but over time listening to him ask questions it's, it's quite shocking. So the last point I wanted to make on this is last week we talked about good old John D from Ward 3, friend of the podcast, uh, and and he had some questionable judgment around finances. This week we've got Mobanga asking a question about what a really basic financial concept means. I don't know how we're supposed to expect our council to fairly and accurately and intelligently question administration about decisions related to our taxpayer money when this is the situation that we find ourselves so i'll just issue to the city councillors that are listening because i know you are a little pro tip from troy when you think grandstanding when you're speaking to the motion when you think that's the point where you're impressing people it's not it's during the questions where you impress and unimpress us so put more effort into that part pretty please we'll move on though and this is another topic that when I saw it on yep. the list, you're like, well, Troy, we'll talk about this, but you might say, why do I care? Right. So what happened with Edmonton Global Metro Metropolitan Region Board? 
whatever they're called these <laughs> days. It's a bit of a conflation. So Edmonton Global, not to be confused with Global Edmonton. Uh, Edmonton Global is the economic development uh, company that's been set up by the member municipalities of the Edmonton Metropolitan Region Board. And is this different from the Edmonton Economic Development Corporation? It is because the mandate of Edmonton Global is region regional, and the whole intent is to try to attract what they call foreign direct investment to the region. So that means getting you know companies in China and Germany and other places to spend their dollars somewhere within those 15 municipalities. Uh, whereas EDC is really focused on growing the economy within the city of Edmonton, or at least that's what we understand to be the distinction. There's an ongoing discussion about mandate and, uh, and and boundaries and things. Anyway, the point of the news this week is that the federal government announced um, $2.3 million for Edmonton Global. This is significant because uh, when they kind of had the coming out party for Edmonton Global a couple of months ago, uh, many people in the room were kind of saying to, to MP Randy Boissonneau, like, hey, you guys need to step up to the plate here. Uh, now they have, and it means that all three levels of government are invested in Edmonton Global, which really means as taxpayers, they've got no more excuses. They've got the runway they need, uh, at least until the next cycle of, uh, of municipal budgets. Uh, so they got to deliver. And the target they have is three to four billion of, of new investment per year, which is you know going to take some time to ramp up to. But um, if they want to be able to capitalize on, on Edmonton being the second fastest growing region in Canada, they should now have the, the runway to go and do that. I appreciate that because again no it's not it's not an interesting topic but this is the last time we'll hear about an uninteresting topic at this point it's make it or break it if they don't deliver that's a story and if they do deliver that's a story but there's no more ramping up to consider delivering in the future it's right. do and or die ideally we won't actually hear about Edmonton Global we'll hear you know some big multinational is opening a new facility in the Edmonton region or has invested a bunch of money here. And that will have been because hopefully of the work of Edmonton Global, uh, but not necessarily about them. You know, they're not the story. Amazon's not in New York anymore as of this week. It's a possibility. Who knows? We've got a nice Northlands Coliseum sitting real empty for you, Amazon. I think we need to move on to, I hate these segments, where speaking municipally issues a retraction. Um, last week... We were a little bit lackadaisical with our uh, 95th Ave commentary and the closing down for Valley Line construction. And even what neighborhood it was in. Yeah, well, that's on me. <laughs> so it's all Greater North Bonnie Dune to me, and maybe that was callous. But I have never seen a topic we've talked about resonate so hard in the way that people hate it. Um, we got a lot of feedback. We did. That um, we needed to rethink it. So... Let's rethink it a little bit. First, 95th Ave is in Strathern. All right? I, I said it. It's in Strathern. Um, not Otwell, not Bonnie Dune. And when we talked last week about, well, just close down the road. It's already inconvenient. Some people reached out and said, well, no, it's already got two lanes. Basically, all that changed was the parking got removed. Right. But there was also another sort of like insidious little detail that was left out of our coverage last week that came to light this week. What was that, Troy? Well, the Valley Line Southeast... It's running behind schedule. Right. Uh, yeah. So when the Transed Consortium said, oh, well, we just want to speed up development to make sure it's less inconvenient for the businesses here. What they actually said is we're going to lose $3 million a month if we are delayed. So we're going to offload the costs of that onto local businesses by closing the road and inconveniencing them. Right. 
a little bit different than the way that it was presented. I mean, I don't necessarily think it changes uh, the intent behind our comments last week, which was, you know, we're not out to get the businesses. We really did think, like, the sooner it's done, the better for everybody. Why drag it out if we don't need to? Um, But it does add a layer of complexity to it. And you can maybe feel sorry for TransEd because of the things they ran into or not. Uh, You know, you should anticipate you're going to run into problems on a construction project like this. Um, But it's important to recognize that you're right. It's not as simple as just helping out the businesses. There's another reason. Also, we mentioned last week that we thought it was peculiar that TransEd had this power to close the road. Right. And it's even worse when you consider, okay, TransEd is the one facing penalties and they have the power to basically unilaterally make these decisions that monetarily harm the businesses on the route just so that they can financially benefit themselves. When we talked about the advantages of a P3 contract, of which there are very few, in my opinion, we'll get to that later, but the advantage of a P3 is that we offload the risk to private corporations. But now if private corporations can instantly, with a snap of a finger, download all the material repercussions of that risk onto local businesses in the area, suddenly there is no advantage to a P3. Uh, We have now just, instead of the city itself taking on the risk, we have had local business owners are now the risk takers of municipal infrastructure projects. And that's not a comfortable place I'm in. The other thing that came up related to this this week was, of course, what's happened in Montreal, where they've actually passed a bylaw where they can compensate businesses that are impacted by you know the few largest construction projects if they're able to show a decline in sales over the period of time that is within the rules. Uh, and apparently Andrew Knack, I don't remember this, but you might, he made a motion about this last year and it was defeated nine to four. Oh, it wasn't just defeated. It was smacked down, volleyball spiked right down his throat. The mayor stood up and said, I cannot believe you're bringing this up. Pandora's box, I think I heard Councillor Henderson say. Yeah, the basic justification is, oh, if we compensate businesses for this, what else are we going to compensate them right. for? Um, which, sure, slippery slope is an argument, but yep. using slippery slope as an argument is a slippery slope. And that was the sole justification of council is they didn't want to engage the slippery slope. But, you know, another jurisdiction has done it. Right. Maybe it's something we need to consider because if we're going to proceed with LRT projects, which benefit the entire city, and there are specific small businesses being materially affected by that, I think it's our responsibility to help those businesses out. And at least look into it. Yeah. Right. We could at least do some investigation to see how this might fly in Edmonton. Because one of the businesses affected is Juniper Cafe, which I don't know if you've ever been, but it's tasty. I enjoy it. I don't want it to close. But that's the Valley Line Southeast, and there's more Valley Line news this week. I'm just looking at our document, and you put a lot of notes in here, and there's a lot of words and acronyms that Troy doesn't necessarily understand. So, Mac, take the lead and educate me. What's going on with the Valley Line West? So I wanted to talk about this a little bit because of the P3 comments that uh, that you made and that we'll make more of, I'm sure, right away. Uh, the Valley Line Southeast we built as a P3 project, and there's basically just three, three different types of P3 project. There's design, build, finance. There's design, build, finance, maintain, and design, build, finance, operate, and maintain. So what that means is uh, you have private partners that take on those portions of the project. So they'll take on the design work, the build work, and they'll bring financing to the table, as you said earlier, to lower the risk for the city. In the case of operations and maintenance, they then also look after the line once it's built. I'd like to interject and mention, typically in the past, several decades of building infrastructure we've never used p3s it was always just the city built it right the reason valley line southeast was p3 was the harper government said if you want infrastructure funding it needs to be a p3 full stop essentially i mean the council you know 
kind of had other reasons, like maybe we're going to get better value for money, or maybe we're going to reduce the risk. But really, it was if we wanted to access federal infrastructure money, it had to be from the P3 fund. And that was, I think, really the key reason that led us down the path of a P3. So Southeast is the full P3. Design, build, finance for a five-year contract, and then a 30-year contract for operations and maintenance. So this is what TransEd is. They're the consortium of private entities that came to the table to um, to win that contract. So uh, Fengate Capital Management, for instance, is the, the finance part of, of the acronym DBFOM. So now we get to Valley Line West. We've had commitments of money from the provincial government, which is great. The city's moving forward with this. Um, in August, Mayor Iveson basically said, nope, we're not going to build a P3 for the West, and then had to backtrack on that and, and say, well, actually, I shouldn't have said that. You know, it'll actually have some complexities. And the reason that we've got complexities on the West is because it's one continuous line, right? From Southeast all the way to the West. Same train, same line. We think of it as two lines, you know, it's Mill Woods to downtown and downtown right. to Wem. The line is actually just Mill Woods to Wem. Right. So now we're coming to how do we procure, how do we decide how to build Valley Line West? What should we do? So administration this week recommended that we do design, build, finance. So the simpler version of what we've did with the Southeast line. And the reason they suggested that is because it would allow them to have an operations and maintenance contract come in later, which they see as an opportunity to maybe evaluate how Transit is doing operating the Southeast before we commit to them for the West. Um, you know, they talked a little bit about um, reduces, you know, reduces risk. So in this case, we've got a private finance partner, which means they're going to want to get their money out, which means if the construction build guys are way behind, that's another lever that can be applied to them to try to make sure that the project happens on time. Um, you know, they would have some things in the contract to make sure that the vehicles are all consistent and compatible and, and all that kind of thing. But, you know, essentially, it's the idea that we'll do design build finance because we get that private money at the table and it will reduce the risk a little bit and we'll figure out how to do operations and maintenance later. So that's the pitch. I'm sensing there's some thoughts from you on that pitch. Yeah, I've got a couple. Um, so one of them is uh, these operations and maintenance facilities. So these are like the, think of them like garages for trains where they're going to do the actual maintenance. So not the cleaning of the trains, but the actual maintenance of the, of the, of the vehicles themselves. They're only going to be in the Southeast. This was apparently baked into the Southeast contract. So for the whole line, all the maintenance is going to happen down in the Southeast. So you can think about how challenging it might be to have not only two different entities operating trains on the same line, but also having to send all the trains down to only one side to do the actual maintenance of those trains. Did the Southeast contract include a stipend for, oh, and your maintenance facility that you're running? Just it'll maintain any trains that'll come in from anywhere else with any other company? No, of course not. Apparently they thought about this, but it's hard to imagine how that could be the case. Um, Councillor Henderson asked a little bit about this at, at committee. He, he wondered if we could, you know, pull out of the operations and maintenance contract with TransEd in the future. Let's say things are going south. Could we do something about that? And administration kind of said, yeah, but we can't tell you how unless we go in private. <laughs> so we're back to that old yarn. Um, so that was one, that was one aspect of it, but I just don't see how we're going to go with somebody other than TransEd to operate trains along the line. It feels a little disingenuous of administration to say, you know, this is a good thing because we can decide later. You know, Henderson pushed a little bit and said, do we actually have options here? Like, are there other options on the table? 
And they said, yes, administration's confident there are, but none were named. Jumping across lines a little bit, administration seems to believe that there are options for the Metro Line signaling system. Like we heard last year that had administration done their own implementation of a signaling system, it could be done by now already. Right. And yet Thales delivered on December 4th, and we've heard nothing about it. Two full shutdowns. Two full shutdowns for signal testing. This week, we had a geostorm of network signaling. What, what, did, what did Thales actually call this? So Thales called it a rare network broadcast storm that caused a train downtime that they apologized for. And this is post-delivered system. So at this point, no news is definitely bad news. 100%. The city is suing Thales, and that is why they're quiet. Right. But this is another case where the city is being mum about trains and keeping the public and council in the dark because there's there's magical options that exist. But at this point, we're in year six of the Metro line being late, and having all these options doesn't seem to have netted us a working train. And there's a risk that this could happen with the line, right? So I think one of the reasons Iveson was hesitant to say that we're going to use a p3 is because he knows people are upset about the fact that it's behind and that the p3 is not so far at least in the southeast delivering the the value that we hoped it would so they use that term quite a lot at committee this week value for money and you have to wonder if another p3 even if it's not the full one yet uh is really the best way to get value for money in this case this is the single largest construction project the city will have ever ever undertaken it's a 2.7 billion dollar project so we should be thinking really hard about how to make sure we're going to get the best value for money here you said the word value for money a few times and the only person in the world who said value for money more times in one sentence is good old councillor mike nickel he does like that phrase i'm not trying to parrot him here iveson actually said it at committee as well but you're right it's his favorite turn of phrase and Nickel made some news this week talking about trains and saying we should stop building them under all circumstances. So if Nickel had his way, we wouldn't even build a train to Wem. Uh, His baffling statements uh, this week are basically, we need to fix what we have. And he used his construction expertise, I'm air quoting here, to say that, you know, the Valley Line Southeast is going to be a year late. And that's just the realities of construction. And uh, we... By construction expertise, I think you mean he said he drove along the line and saw not enough equipment and thought, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be late. Yeah. He, he said, we don't have enough man equipment on the line, so it's going to be late. Right. He was the only person who voted against the P3 recommendation this week, actually. And he didn't ask any questions about it or say why. Okay. He saved that for the media. That's a typical Mike Nickel response is even contentious big votes. When Mike Nickel votes no... He doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't speak to the motion. He just votes no and silently sits there. So makes you wonder uh, if he's just waiting for the media to throw his balls there or if he's deciding later why he voted against it and just his finger's always on the no button. We know from the voting records that that's pretty well the case. Yeah. But we had this baffling indictment of LRT by a sitting city councilor. And the only thing I can think of that makes sense, is this is his run for mayor. Because Iveson is elected as the transit LRT mayor. Iveson's last mayoral campaign literally sold t-shirts right. of an LRT map. Right. This is the line in the sand. This is the wedge issue that Mike Nickel can put forward for 2021. And he can say, you know what? I'm sick of those trains snarling traffic. 
and that's how he can be competitive with an Iverson. That's the only way I can think of rationalizing only building half of a $4 billion LRT line. And popular opinion would support that, right? People are pretty upset about the Metro line. Uh, I don't think anybody received the news this week that the Southeast is behind uh, uh, positively. That's another bad news story for LRT. Um, maybe you're right. Maybe there's something to it. I mean, it's nonsensical though, right? You don't you don't complete one whole line before you start the next. These things go in waves and you've got to get going. Like at committee this week, they were talking about already doing utility relocation for Valley Line West, you know, to try to, and get ahead of it so that construction can happen at least somewhere close to the construction timelines that the P3 partner is going to suggest. So, you know, it doesn't make sense to just stop and wait till one's completely done to do the next one. But maybe you're right. Maybe it's a bit of a wedge issue. For some reason, Councillor Nickel doesn't believe that the train to WEM is going to be successful. So he's trying to get in front of that. But to not have a train to WEM, like, it just seems absurd. It's always seemed absurd that we haven't had a train to WEM. Right. It seems like a very obvious line for us to have. To have finished all the detailed planning work to, we've already eminent domained some property. Right. United site or not United Cycle. Western Cycle. Western Cycle. They're closed because we took their land. This is a train that's already rolling. Right. And that metaphor is apt committee in addition to uh, recommending that we go ahead with the proposed design build finance uh, p3 also approved another 30 million dollars for uh, concept conceptual planning work that you're talking about um, so the next thing is for this to go to full city council for approval and that'll be when they get back from break uh, probably february 26th or 27th so i want to jump a little further on as long as you're done talking about trains that's enough p3 for one night we're gonna jump back to a segment we started a little while ago our slow burn we have a rapid fire at the top but some of the times issues just get lost into the ether and one of them that came up is someone asked me this week hey what about mill creek ravine weren't they supposed to be daylighting mill creek ravine and weren't we supposed to be opening up when we're building the tawatina bridge for the valley line construction to which i responded yeah that was the plan so what did happen to that right you mentioned it tonight and i'm like huh hadn't thought about that that's a good question so we, we looked did, into it yeah we i'm reading detective novels and oh boy did i like being a private <laughs> detective googling the last we can find is it came to the fall supplementary capital budget adjustment in 2017 basically when the report about daylighting came to committee committee's like oh yeah this is really cool right. the presenters showed a minecraft video of what mill creek could look like and everyone on council was ecstatic about that and so a $1.8 million ask came to the supplementary capital budget adjustment of fall 2017, at which point council said, eh, we're Edmonton City Council. Kick that can. Right. And they said, come back in spring 2018. So we looked at the spring 2018 supplementary capital budget adjustment, and daylighting is gone. Uh, it is the case of the missing daylighted creek. We don't know what happened to it. So we're going to be following up. If you're listening, councillors... Send us a message. Or administration, or, if you or know. Or administration. Or we're going to send you a message. And that is our speaking municipally guarantee. Was there anything else that's slow burning for you? 
another one I saw was about a downtown business attraction. So last April, council asked for a report on this. You know, are we doing a good job of attracting businesses and retaining businesses downtown? Um, the city and the Downtown Business Association and EDC are working on that. And the update is expected to come back in early June at this point. So that's the latest on on that file. The reason I thought about it this week is um, uh, Don Braid and the Calgary Herald wrote a thing a while back about how Edmonton was way out in front uh, of Calgary in terms of our our development. And uh, this week, Richard White wrote in the Calgary Herald that he thinks Calgary has projects that match or exceed those of Edmonton's. So it seems the Battle of Alberta is alive and well, at least off the ice. That's great. Uh, I want to throw to one last topic before we close, because there was a big media story that it had all the graspings of people are going to latch on to this. Right. And it was... The city of Edmonton drivers got some tickets in playground zones. So many tickets, Troy. So many tickets. So a report came out this week. The city of Edmonton, their employees got about 308 traffic tickets this year, uh, photo radar tickets, uh, and about 108 of those were in playground zones. And about 75 of those were from ETS drivers. So, you know, you had council saying, well, this isn't good modeled behavior and right, mm, waving our finger. This is so not a story at all. So one of the things I do recreationally is aggregate photo radar data. Um, some fun facts about the photo radar system. There are 300,000 unique license plates every year that get a photo radar ticket, which equates to about 30% of the Edmonton metropolitan region population. Right. So if you're an Edmontonian, chances are if you're in a room with three people, one of you is getting a photo radar ticket. The city of Edmonton has 15,000 employees and 300 of them got a ticket. I think contrary to Nax's comments, this is the definition of modeling good behavior. They're significantly above the average for behaving well in our traffic zones. So everyone, not a story. Not a story. Not a story. That's why it's at the end. Uh, Also at the end, advertisements because we're a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. And, you know, members of this network, they've been doing live shows. We had a live show just last weekend, Let's Find Out, Chris Chang and Phillips, the former historian laureate. He did a live show focusing on how nature shapes us. And it's going to be the kickoff point for his new season, all focusing on the single topic of how nature shapes us and how we shape nature in return. It's going to be a really interesting uh, season, I think. I love Let's Find Out. So listen to that. And coming up on March 17th, the That's a Thing podcast, hosted by Karen Unland and her daughter, Elizabeth. We've talked about this in the past. It's right. all about the dank memes. They're hosting a live recording at Skirts of Fire, and they'll explore how the internet has created a supportive and informative space for LGBTQ plus youth, uh, notwithstanding any of the trollish toxicity that seems to be swimming everywhere online. Uh, you can get tickets and learn more at skirtsoffire.com or albertapodcastnetwork.com where you can listen to and subscribe to all the Alberta Podcast Network shows like Speaking Municipally, powered by Taproot Edmonton. Taproot Edmonton. And Taproot is a media company. <laughs> we are excited to be sponsoring the upcoming season of Let's Find Out that you just mentioned. So we're going to help Chris uh, make some really good episodes exploring questions that people planted in our real physical story garden at that live event. That was pretty fun. Uh, you can plant a question, a seed in our virtual story garden if you like. You can become a member at tapperededmonton.ca and let us know what you're curious about. Until next time, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Romantically. romantically.
something crazy? Will you marry me? <gasps> Can I say something even crazier? Good old John D from Ward 3, friend of the podcast. 